Um, I was I had to share this praise report uh, that happened. Yeah, it was it yesterday? I think it was. Yeah, Friday. Thank you, worship team. You guys take a seat. Thank you. And um, um, well, first of all, it's good to be here. Our, this is a leadership discipleship and potential leadership. We open it to potential leaders. Those that um, the way I do it in my church. If you want to emulate that, pastors up to you. But those who say, you know, I feel call leadership. They're not in leadership now, but they're in some form of discipleship. And they just talk to me as a pastor, and we, you know, them come. But those leaders that are leadership uh, come, and um, so it's good to be here in Hayward for leadership discipleship. But yesterday, I was in this meeting, and uh, there's this campaign that we're getting ready to uh, start in Sacramento called Cease Fire. And Cease Fire is a partnership with the Sacramento Police Department, um, also an organization called ACT, which stands for Area Congregations Together. And they are sort of like a, a subsidiary of an organization that's very political called PICO. I mean, you might have heard PICO, but they're like an extension of them, but they're more faith-based extension of them. And they actually rally churches together to make a difference in the community. So anyways, I'm in this meeting, and we're talking to these people, city officials, community organizers, the police, and then some pastors. And after the meeting, there was this girl. She was African-American girl. She's probably about 30 years old. She says, you're from Victor Outreach? I said, yeah, Victor Outreach. And she says, back in 1995, I think it was, she said, I got saved at a play called Something Gun at Sunset High School. And I said, Shotgun? Yes, that was it, Shotgun. I said, that was my play. She said, are you serious? She said, that is the day I gave my life to Jesus. I've been serving God ever since. 15 years later, she said. And she started witnessing these people tell them, you got to see their plays and and they're phenomenal. And she said, I always wanted to go to the Hayward Church, but my dad got a job and we moved out the series literally two weeks later. She said, but I got put into a church. I've been serving God ever since. I'm a, I'm a youth leader now. I'm a community organizer now. So you never know who God is going to, who God's going to touch through these, these, these plays. And I know Hayward's getting ready for shaking the bay, right? Amen. So that's your fruit. That's a, I was stirred up, man. I, I almost choked up because you never know who God's going to use you to reach, amen, not only in our ministry, but I believe we, at Big Church, we have a lot of fruit all around the world, that a lot of churches have grown because of our ministry, and I was so touched, and she was like telling people about our plays, and she said, you put a play together? I said, yep, I am. It's called Hypnotize. I'm going to be doing it, and she's like, I'm bringing my whole youth, and Next, you know, these like people in these places saying, like, what is this thing? And who is this thing? And she was being a witness for our ministry. And here she is with her degrees and everything else. She's saying, this is what we need right here in our community. We don't need, you know, all this dialogue about this and plan that. We just need these folks to come in and do what they do best. That's what's going to bring change in this ministry. Uh, I know a while back there was an article about a certain individual police chief that they say cleaned up Dakota. No, it was Pastor Steve who cleaned up Dakota. When you had nine pastors that came out of that area, you know, I'm sure they had their part too, but really it was Pastor Steve that used to take us there month after month, rally after rally that cleaned up Dakota, amen, and, and brought revival to that, that city. So we're, we're, we still need revival to happen in the inner cities, right, amen? So the way it's going to happen is we've got to continue to grow. So I thought I would just share that with you. I even called Pastor Steve and said, you've got to share this with the cast. I think he Twittered it, and then... Uh, I, I want to share with our cast, too, because you just never know who God's going to use. Amen? All right, Matthew chapter 20. I've got a lot of stuff here that I want to give you. And um, I was thinking about this uh, 
leadership class, and we've been covering the area of discipleship. When us as the regional pastors got together at the beginning of the year, we talked about what areas do we really need in our, our church, and it was almost unanimous that um, we need discipleship in our church if our churches are going to grow. Um, we were talking actually in region. We've had a lot of regional events, discipleships, um, different speakers come in, elders and different people, and, and they've, you know, they, they come in and they, they, they bring forth the word. But I, I was, we were talking about how we just feel like, you know, those things have been great, but we're not really seeing the results that we want to see from those events. And I was telling them, well, in my church, I think we just got to get back to old-fashioned discipleship. Old-fashioned discipleship. Some things just never change. And, and that's what's going to keep us successful if we keep that, that same thread uh, flowing throughout our churches. Now, when it comes to discipleship, though, um, it's, it's, it's not something that, I, I think that discipleship is like is something that becomes second nature. And if you're an athlete or if you've learned to do anything second nature, you know that what happens is after you do it so much, it becomes like first nature. It, it becomes natural to you. But it, you have to keep doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it. It's like Karate Kid. How many seen Karate Kid? You see the new one, right? It's jacket on, put the jacket off. And the principle of that was is that he had him doing it so much that when it was needed, it became second nature to him. In other words, you don't have to think about it. it just, you just do it. There's some things we do first nature. Do you know what that is? Breathing. It's first nature. You don't think about it. You just do it. Blinking. First nature. You just do it. You don't think about it. But there's some things that need to be learned and become second nature where they're almost like first nature where when it happens, you just do it. And I think that's where we have to get to when it comes in the area of discipleship. Amen? So why don't we look at Matthew 20. Verse 25, and I want to talk to you about the three authorities in the church or three, three roles of authority that I think that if you're going to be a leader, if you, if you are a leader or you desire leadership, that we must learn to master these three areas of authority. And, and I'm not going to give you probably anything new in the in area of authorities. You've probably heard them before, but I want to give you some new insights to certain areas about each authority. So, I want you to look at Matthew 20. Do you have it? Verse 25 through 28. I'm going to actually be reading out of the NLT, which is my favorite version. I love the NLT. I just love this version. Um, I've been hooked on it for years now. So let, let's look what it says. Verse 25. But Jesus called them together and said, you know that in this world, kings are tyrants and officials lord it over the people beneath them. But among you, it should be quite different. Whoever wants to be a leader... Among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must become your slave. For even I, the Son of Man, came here not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life a ransom for many. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for, first of all, this church in Hayward, God, and the legacy it has and the, the vision it continues to move towards, God. I, I, I pray for the leadership here. And all the churches here, God, that are represented today, I pray that you would just uh, give us direction, give us insight, give us clarity, uh, Father, this morning, that we want to continue to enhance our leadership skills and our style, God, as well, too. So, Lord, as I speak, help me to bring forth a simplicity with profoundness, God, that will penetrate hearts and minds that we can do what the Spirit says to do and live according to what the Word says. In Jesus' name, everybody says... Amen. Well, this morning, I want to talk to you about the area of authority. Because the minute you become a leader, 
you are put in a position of authority. And Jesus here, understanding the world system and the way the world operates, is by authority. Things don't happen unless certain authorities make certain decisions, take certain actions, make certain choices. That's the way we live in. The, the world operates. It's based on an authoritative system. So Christ, knowing that, begins to right away decipher between the way the world operates in authority to where the church or the kingdom, kingdom leaders should operate in, in authority. He says the kings and the officials, they operate one way. He says, but in my kingdom or in my, my way of doing things, these would be different. That's what I like the NLT says, different. He says there must be a distinct difference in your leadership style. So what was Jesus doing? And, and what he does there, he actually puts the focus on himself. He says, he, he's, he's, he's putting the focus on, look at the kings of this world, look at the officials of this world, but I also want you at the same time to look at me. Look at the way I do things. Look at, look at how I operate. Look at my way of doing things. He's trying to put a picture of a distinct contrast between the way the world does things and the way the church does things. I'm going to give you a lot of stuff, so I really encourage you to take notes. Are they recording this by any chance? Okay, good. So see if it'll be available. We're going to be here for some time, okay? Now, if you want to grow, then you're going to be, be getting this because I'm going to give you a lot of stuff here uh, this morning, okay? But Jesus, even Jesus himself, he operated in three types of authority. And every leader at some point either needs to or will operate in these three types of authority, okay? The first one is relational authority. The second one is spiritual authority. And the third one is positional authority. A leader in God's house either should or will, and I say should because some people don't operate in some of these authorities. Some will operate in one or two, but not all three. A good leader will eventually operate in all three levels of authority, but with the proper balance, knowing when each one is appropriate and knowing when one is, is, is not appropriate. So when you look at that, if we can get this, and if, if you can get what I'm going to give you here this morning, there's not going to be buildings big enough for the, the people God will bring to our churches. This, it just, it, revival will hit, church growth will take place. If you can get what I'm going to give you this morning. Now, but there's also, I don't like to use the word formula, but we'll say like a pattern. That's a better word. There's a pattern that Jesus gave us to have success in raising up disciples. We're called not just to leave you the Lord. We're called to what? The Great Commission, raise up disciples. And so if you're going to raise up disciples, which I really think we need to because if not, you're going to get burnt out. You're going to get tired. You're going to get frustrated. You're going to find yourself uh, uh, eventually plateauing if you don't raise up disciples. But I think what happens is, is when it comes to these three areas of authority, relational authority, spiritual authority, and positional authority, I think where I see leaders go wrong is they don't do it in the pattern that Jesus set for us. There's a pattern that Jesus set for us when it comes to these levels of authority, and I see leaders do it backwards. They, they, start, they start from positional authority and then go back down to, re, to relational authority when actually the first step that you need to take as a leader to, with people is relational authority over their life. It's the very first step. 
And what happens though sometimes is people come at people with positional authority and even spiritual authority. And you need to know that you're never going to get anybody to do anything to support your ministry, to help you out, if you do not influence them relationally. It'll never happen. You're going to be deceiving yourself. You're going to have a hard time building anything if people don't see that you care about them. Let's go to our text, Matthew 9. We're going to be in Matthew 9, and I'm going to show you here. Matthew 9 is the first gospel. I'm going to show you here, even through the scriptures, there was a pattern here that Jesus set for us to follow when it came in the area of discipleship. See, what happens is I think when we look at the beginning of Matthew 9, when Jesus calls his disciples, they, they were not really disciples at that point. They were potential disciples. They didn't become disciples until they stuck with him after a while. When he first called them, they, weren't, they were just potential disciples because we know one what rebelled, and his name was Judas. So there was a potential there for discipleship. Look at Matthew 9. Do you have it? It says, and Jesus passed from there. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. He said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now what happened is Jesus sat at the table in the house that, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and the disciples. Now watch this. Watch this. If you read Matthew chapter, uh, beginning from 1 to 9, I'm going to challenge you to read it. And I want you to watch the pattern that Jesus does here. The first thing Jesus does is Matthew is the last disciple that Jesus calls. He's making his journeys. He's establishing himself, who he is. He gets Peter. He gets uh, uh, Andrew. He gets Bartholomew. He gets all these other ones. And the very last one that he gets is who? Matthew. And what is the first thing he does after he calls his disciples? He goes and has fellowship with them. Do you see that? He didn't go and start, I need you to do this. I need you to bring sodas for this thing. I need you to go do this. I need you to go do that. The very first thing he's done, he's done calling his potential people. He's done calling his potential leaders. And the thing he does is says, let's go sit down at the table. Let me get to know you. Because you could find out a lot of things about people at a table. A lot of things. And that's where you ask questions to find out. A lot of things about them. I, I, I'm not going to get into it today, but I'm, I was actually going to bring out some things to ask people to find out where they're at. There is actually good questions that we can ask people. But the point here that I'm making is that before Christ tries to establish spiritual authority with his disciples and positional authority, he takes time to connect with the people. Now watch this. That's why Jesus said, he said, the, the rulers of the Gentile lorded over you. He says, but not so in my kingdom. Now watch this. He says, but you must serve. So then how do you have authority? Because the, 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 the principle or the idea of servanthood means to what? To come under, doesn't it? But we're supposed to have authority. So what's Jesus talking about? Here it is. When Jesus came under, if you read it there, under Matthew's house, he stopped his agenda his mission, and came under their agenda and their mission. You're not getting this. Some of you are not getting this. In other words, he put everything aside and said, when he went to Matthew's house, he said, I'm giving up my agenda, my mission for now. I'm coming under your agenda to spend time to get to know you. He submitted himself to them. He submitted himself to Matthew's house. In those days, and it should be still today, I think, when you're in somebody's house, hello, parents, 
That's why it don't matter when your kids turn 18. If they still live with you, they're under your authority. Amen. I told my dad, I don't care if you're 18, 20, you live in this house. I'll still, no, just kidding. Amen. It don't matter. Right? So let me give you the definition of a relational authority. Relational authority is this. The leader has established personal relationship, and here's the key you're trying to get, solid trust with potential disciples. See, they, imagine, they, they hear about Jesus, the word spreading out about him, and all of a sudden he calls his last disciple, Matthew, he gets him. He's the final piece to God's dream team, to the potential megachurch. And he says, I don't need to take these guys out to the streets. I don't need to get these guys over here doing this. I need to go sit down and break bread with these guys. I need to know how Matthew thinks and why he was extorting people out of their money. I need to know how, you know, what Peter thinks and, you know, is he suffering economic crisis with this, with this fishing uh, industry. I need to know how these certain individuals think. And he says, the only way I'm going to find it out is i got to sit down with them and make time and give up my agenda and come under theirs. And that's what leaders don't want to do sometimes. There's reasons why. Now, why is this so difficult? Now, the main thing you're going to tell me is because we're always busy. That's not necessarily true. Because you can be busy and still sit at the table. I'm, I'm, I, there's some, I'm looking around this room. There's some blessed people in this room, if you know what I'm talking about. You find time. We find time to eat. Some of you didn't say amen. I'm, I'm one of those. I'm in double services already. Amen. Praise the Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go triple services. Amen. We're, we call it in our church blessed. I'm three blessed. Amen. That's what it is. So the, the key here, or why is it difficult? Here it is. Because relational authority takes time to develop trust. You have to be willing to invest a lot of time with people. And I think sometimes we want the quick thing. Well, I just ate with them, and, you know, and, and, that, and, and that's just, you know, that's just the superficial part of it. That's just the contact. And there might be many contacts. There might be many types because everybody's different. And if you approach every person you're looking at as a potential disciple the same way, that's the first mistake you're making because everybody's different. And some will take longer. Some have trust issues. Some, you know, have other issues that they're leery about. They're, you know, they love God. They, they want to go forward. But you have to understand it takes time to build trust. And what I've seen in my church a while there is that people were just writing people off too soon. They'd make a mistake. They, they didn't do this. That They just could cut them off. And I get phone calls. I can't even get so-and-so to talk to me. They don't answer my calls. They don't, you know, the sister so-and-so doesn't even get back to me. Brother so-and-so, I can't get a meeting with them. And then I've talked to them like, well, they messed up. Well, you don't write people off because they messed up. You don't write them off. That's not the way we're taught. That's not the way I was taught in this church. Not for my pastor. No way. He never wrote me off. He never did that. Even though I made a lot of mistakes. Ask Josie. I did a lot of wrong things. A lot of mistakes. I was never written off. And so we should never write people off. Now, there is a level where you get to decide investing how much time. That's wisdom, of course, because you can't keep investing on somebody who don't want it. But if they want it and they're there and they're showing they want it, it's going to take time, time for you to develop trust. Number two, why is it difficult? Because relational authority requires the leader to be vulnerable and transparent with their disciples. They're going to hurt you. Their kids are going to be crazy and hurt your kids. 
And what are you going to do? Don't be messed. And it's funny sometimes how leaders, and then we get these sinners, and you know, and they're still, half of them are still on crack. And their kids sometimes got the remnant of that because they're around it. And they're a little crazy, and then they offend the leader's kid, and the leaders all of a sudden get all defensive, and, you know, and they get all crazy, and they just, you know, and then lose themselves. Because why? Because that person could not handle the situation properly, and that disciple got a bad taste of that leader. You make people left. I could tell you people left our church because of that situation right there. Families, problems, teenagers, drama. And the reality is that oftentimes why leaders don't want to establish relational authorities because they're going to have to be transparent. And they don't want to go to the table. They don't want them to see their flaws. So they try to go spiritual authority or positional authority. Because I'm going to give you the difference between the two. Are you with me? Thirdly, why is this difficult? Because relational authority requires, here it is, more personal investment in the relationship, which sometimes leads to pain and disappointment. You have to make yourself emotionally vulnerable to people. They're going to hurt you. They're going to talk about you. They're going to go to a different leader and say, you did this and you did that, or you said this and you said that. They're going to play the mom and dad thing. They're going to do that. And so some people would rather not get involved. I was just talking to a, a friend of mine the other day who's a fellow pastor who went through something, and his first thing was, Pastor Eddie, I wanted just to not even deal with people no more because this happened. People are going to hurt us. See, the goal in relational authority is to establish Trust in that person so you can influence their life. We say leadership is influence. Yes, it is. But you're never going to have no influence unless you have a relational authority first. See, we try to do influence by do this, do that, do this, do that, bring this, bring that, do this, do that. And we give them phone calls to bring sodas for the nacho sale, phone calls for this, phone calls for that. But we never just call and say, how are you doing today? How you doing today? Can I pray for you in anything? Everything okay with your kids? You and your husband need a babysitter so I can, you know, I'll watch your kids so you guys can go spend some time together. See, that establishes trust with people. It shows you care. It's, it's the old, you know, Maxwell saying, people don't care how much you know, they how much you care. And, and, and why do you think they call the flu Influenza. Because it influences your body. It's a virus that takes over functions. Amen. You ever had it? Stomach flu. <laughs> it takes over. It so influences your body that you do things or feel things that you wouldn't normally feel. Well, imagine if a virus of relational authority spread through this leadership right now that people would be so influenced, we would affect the way they think, to what they did, and part of this body of Christ. I'm hoping somebody catches this virus today. I'm hoping my leaders catch this virus. That before about spiritual authority, positional authority, I am never going to see anything happen until I establish relational authority with people. Never. Never. So when Jesus, it says, the world lords over them, Jesus says, but you lead under them. In other words, you come under their agenda. 
You come under their thing. You show up to their kid's party. You do this. And even though you might have something going on, I'm not saying you got to give up everything. Don't misunderstand me here. But there has to be some displayment that you are coming under their agenda, their life, their plan, their system they're in, their, their mode of living to where you drop that. And it's like Jesus set the example for this and with the woman at the well. He made a detour for this woman. He, the, the, says he, de- he went this way. He made a detour for her. And what happened? She brought revival to a city. Because somebody took time just to talk to her. Not judgingly. Not condemning. Talk to her. Jesus came under their influence or their agenda. But he, at the same time, he influenced them. He, he, he brought a virus with the disciples. He was trying to, that spread that led to a mega church. See, I think a lot of times... Leaders have problems developing disciples because they try to go spiritual authority and positional authority first. And you have the wrong idea about spiritual authority. And I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you all through scripture how spiritual authority is really developed in, in, in our lives. Are you with me this morning? Let's move on. Spiritual authority. Matthew 7, verse 29. Matthew 7, verse 29. For he taught one as having, who had real authority. I'm out of the NLT again. Quite unlike the teachers of the religious law. Now, look at this. Here's how you get spiritual authority. How many want spiritual authority? The teachers of the law taught the law but didn't live up to the law. In other words, they knew all about the law. They were masters. They were scholars in the law and could very much tell everybody what the law said. But when it says as someone having real authority, the problem they have is that the teachers were telling everybody what they had to do that they weren't doing themselves. And that's what says Jesus taught as one having what? Real spiritual authority. See, the scribes focused more on teaching than living. And that's where we go wrong because many of you try to teach everybody this. And that's why my, one of my favorite scriptures is 1 Corinthians 9.27. I have it memorized. That the Apostle Paul says, after I preach to others, I discipline myself that I won't be disqualified. Why? Because everybody here, you, you can counsel anybody that comes to this church. You can give them the best wisdom, the best idea, the best knowledge. But can you do it yourself? And Paul says, I don't want to just tell everybody what they got to do. I have to discipline myself so I don't get disqualified by the very thing I'm telling them to do. That's why James says this. James says, not many of you should want to be teachers because you're going to encourage to your judgment. Now watch. That does not have to do with your judgment necessarily in heaven. It's people are going to judge you more harshly. Because if you keep reading, he says, many fall, many will do this, many stumble, many do this. He's not talking about in heaven, we're, we're not judged in that, we're judged according to our works. But what people will hold you and judge you according to your words. Well, you told me this, you said that, you told me to submit myself, but you're not submitting to yourself. So you're a teacher, you're, you're like a scribe, somebody who teaches but doesn't live. And, and, and the problem is, let me give you the definition of spiritual authority. Spiritual authority is the knowledge and application of the word of God. That's simple. Knowledge and application of God's word. Not only knowing it. See, wisdom is not just knowing something. Wisdom is living something. Wisdom is knowledge applied. 
people tell me, you're a very wise man. Uh, but I've had, I, it's, it's, I had to learn a lot of things and live it. I don't want to just know the word. I want to live the word. I want to I become the word. I want the word of God to become me in my life. So then how is it established? Because see, here's the problem. The problem is that this, the, this, the, the teachers of the law, they were trying to establish spiritual authority in front of people. But let, let me tell you something. Spiritual authority is established in your private life, but displayed in your public life. Let me show you where Jesus got his spiritual authority from. It wasn't from, and it's all in Matthew. It's, just, it's a pattern here. It wasn't from him casting out the devils, him healing the sick, him doing this. His spiritual authority came from Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Let's go there. This is where he established spiritual authority. When he had no disciples yet, when he, nobody really knew about him yet, is in his private life is where spiritual authority was established. Look what it says. Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. No disciples, no ministry yet, no, no big name yet, but establishing himself in God and according to God's word when nobody was looking. Nobody's around. See, and that's where leaders... I see go wrong because they're real spiritual in front of people. <laughs> oh, they, they put their spiritual hat on. And, and, then, and then, yeah, in their private life, they're not spiritual. They don't pray on their own. They don't read on their own. See, while, while others were focusing on teaching the law, Jesus was focused on fulfilling the law. Did he say that? I didn't come, I came to what? Fulfill it. In other words, I came to live it out. I came to show you what the law says. I'm not coming just to teach you the law. I'm coming to live the law. And it does me no good to try to display it in front of y'all folks out here, the 5,000, the 20,000, if I haven't done it in my own personal private time. If I haven't had my own personal battles, own personal testings where I had to use the word of God, because that's what he did in that time of battle. He used the word of God in my own personal life. It's going to do me no good they try to go and tell everybody what they got to do in public if I'm not doing it in private. It does me no good. No good. See, spiritual authority is developed in your private life, but it's displayed in public life. Leaders fail because they, do, they try to display it publicly if they're not developing it privately. But here's the thing. I've noticed this. You can only fake it so long. Eventually, it's going to come out. I'll give you a classic example. I remember I was driving with this guy, and he was a leader in our church at the time. It was the beginning of our ministry, and we almost got hit by a car. That brother cussed like a sailor. Flam! That's who you really are, huh? And then, and then I told him, he said, oh, my God, I'm sorry to do that in front of you, Pastor. I said, no, I'd rather have you do it in front of me than the people that are following you. Because I could handle it. I'm not worried about that. But I'm worried if you had been with some disciples and this and that. Like yesterday in the morning, me and Pastor David were golfing, and, and uh, <clears throat> I was whooping him and a few other guys. just, just. And so I had this par, if you know what par is, and then I got so excited, I picked, I picked my 
my, my putter up, and I hit my ankle with this metal club. You ever hit your ankle like that? And I turned to R. I said, would they judge me if I cussed right now? No, just kidding. See, some of you are just too holy for me. I'm playing. I'm joking. Gosh. But I've seen people lose their fruit in situations. See, because here's the reality. Here it is. When you're not focusing on spiritual authority in your private life, you have a hard time sitting with sinners in public. Because sinners can, especially our kind of folk, that have done everything under the sun, know every hustle. I mean, it amazed me the new hustle. We had a guy leave our home the other day, and the new hustle we did, I was like, wow, I wish I would have thought about that one before I got saved. You know what I mean? <laughs> I said, I wish I would have did that. That's a good one. Man, that's a good one. But if you're not who you're supposed to be, you're going to have a hard time sitting with sinners and sitting with people because they're going to figure you out. See, Jesus had no problem making himself vulnerable because he had personal victory. He had no problem making himself vulnerable. Leaders who struggle in personal victory often find that they have uh, can't uh, meet people relationally with relational authority because they have problems with their personal authority, personal victory of their life. They, they, they have a hard time. They don't get close. They don't want people to see who they really, really are. See, in chapter 4, verse 18, he goes looking for potential disciples. But if in that same text, now watch this. It says he went up full of the Spirit, but he came down with the power of the Spirit. There was a change that took place. It was a change in his own life. It's the same principle when Moses went up to the mountain and came down with a glow on his face. But what I see sometimes, and I've been at leaders' houses and been with them, that in their own personal house and their life in the church is no different. There's not a distinctive. There's, you don't feel it. I don't sense spirituality. I don't sense uh, 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 battles that they've gone through, victory. I don't sense authority. They're, they're just doing business as usual. They're just coasting along in life. Secondly, here's the thing about spiritual authority. Spiritual authority is given by God but recognized by man. See, God gave Jesus the victory because he was God, of course. And, but it was given to him, but the Bible says it was recognized by man. Man saw it. Man, that guy, when that guy talks, it hits my heart. It penetrates me because he's just not saying a bunch of words. He's actually living what he says. And he will never ask me to do something he hasn't done himself. That's what the soldier recognized in Luke 7, verse 8. He says, for I also am a man placed under authority. See, those people who are under authority can spot somebody who's under authority. They can spot it. They can see it. They, can, they recognize the, the authority in someone's life. And, and people in the church who are, are new and they're coming under and who loving God and they're, they're, they're wanting to go forward, they can spot if we're really coming under the leadership of our church, or if we're coming under the leadership of God, of the Word of God. Spiritual authority is established with people under you by submitting to authorities over you. See, it's funny 
how often we use scripture or we use cliches or we use uh, sayings to people when they're going through something, but yet we don't do it ourselves. I, I figured something out very early in leadership. I found that the majority of the time, not all the time, the majority of the time, maybe 50% of the time, we'll just say that, that oftentimes God would bring me people to counsel and give them advice that I need to take myself. Can, you do agree with me, pastors? I mean, and one day it hit me. I'm counseling this person here in Hayward, and I'm counseling them, and the Holy Spirit's like, why don't you do that? <laughs> why don't you say that? And it was like a pattern. And it was like, you know, and all these people that God is sending me to counsel, everything I'm telling them, the Holy Spirit's saying, are you going to live it or are you just going to teach it? Because I, I, even now today, even different situations, I, I've been some of these pastors talking to them and I'm giving them advice and the Lord's like, you better do it too, brother. You better do what you're telling them. Yes. See, they, they can recognize if you are somebody under authority. Do we obey? Do we submit? See, because here's the reality. Sometimes, you know, we're called sheep, but sometimes we act like goats. I got this revelation yesterday. I'm not even telling them. I'm with Pastor David and Ari, we're golfing. And all of a sudden, you ever heard a goat scream? This goat, I'm getting ready to tee off, and this goat was like, not like, bah, he was like, yeah. Imagine, I'm getting ready to tee off, and this goat's like making this disgusting noise. And then we turn the corner, and there's about 150 goats, right? That's where you know, Pastor David's country club is, out there with the goats. <laughs> and I'm watching them, and I'm watching what they do, and I'm noticing some distinct differences between goats and sheep. And, and see, here's, 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 here's the thing. Goats will kick. They will bite. They will buck. And they will wander. Ghosts don't really have a leader. Sheep will follow a, a, a woolly ram. It's like an established authority within sheep. They'll know. But goats, there's no hierarchy. Goats will just do whatever they want to do. And I'm watching all these goats because we're turning. There's like, there's like 40 here, 10 here, 5. They're even trying to climb trees. That's those Yuba City goats. They're, they're like that. They're out. And Pastor David, he's like, look, look, he's trying to climb a tree. I'm like, bro, what's, what's wrong with your goats, brother? Come on, man. <laughs> and, uh, but they have no hierarchy. They just do what they want to do. And that's why you can, if, if, you know, you don't have to be a farmer. But everybody here, if I put a sheep up here and a goat, you would tell the difference. And if you saw them both in a plane, you would spot the difference. Well, how much people in our church? They could spot a real sheep who's under the shepherd and under the woolly ram coming under, submitting themselves to, and a goat who just says, I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to find what I want because goats are selfish. Sheep are gentle. Sheep will actually, they're, 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 sometimes they're selfish in that if there's, I was reading one time that there's, if there's a small pasture, they'll actually take turns grazing because they're more concerned about the flock. A goat, mm-mm, he's going to get all he can while he can. See, when we're not coming under, we're acting like goats. Luke 6, 12 says this. 
if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? Good followers make good leaders. Bad followers make bad leaders. There, and, and now here's the crazy thing, because when it comes to spiritual authority and relational authority, there is actually an art in working between the two, okay? Now, a leader who stays stuck in relational authority and doesn't transition into spiritual authority, here's the key, will have a lot of friends but very few disciples. I got one in my church right now. I, I, my wife and I are talking about it. And that's, that's the problem. The problem is they're very relational with that person, but they haven't yet established themselves as a leader because why? They don't want to hurt them. They don't want to tell them the truth. And so they're friends. I could smile my They're a friend with them, but I don't see them, that person respecting them as their leaders because they haven't transitioned. They haven't transitioned into, into that place of authority. So you have to be careful in that you establish yourself with relational authority, but if, if the thing is that people who really want it and they start seeing all these flaws in your life, they're going to find somebody else who has spiritual authority. And they'll still be your friend. They'll still, you know, call you, talk to you, whatever. But eventually they're going to find somebody who's really living what they're telling they're supposed to do. Someone told me the other day in one of our cell groups that uh, a girl left the cell group went to another cell group because she told the person the exact thing I'm telling you. She said, I'm tired of you telling me what to do and you don't do it yourself. So I'm going to their cell group. People, people are not dumb. And so you have to know that. So the thing is that the way relational authority is maintained, it's maintained by spiritual authority. You, you maintain relational authority because here's what happens. If you, you win them over and then you love them and they love you for that, but eventually, if they start seeing more of a different side of you, they're going to cut you loose. And they might not even want to be friends with you. They might not even want to hang out with you. And now it's switched. Now the tables have turned because you're not maintaining yourself with spiritual authority, living according to God's word, being a someone who's under authority, and they'll go look for somebody who's more spiritual. They'll go look for somebody who's really living the word, doing what the word says, not so emotional, up one minute, down one minute, you know, uh, 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 always going by feelings and, and, and all these hang-ups and strongholds in their life. Who's not dictated by it. They're going to look for somebody who can give them victory, who can lead them to victory, not just be their friend. Yes, you establish yourself there, but where are you taking them? Can you take them to victory? You can't if you have no spiritual victory yourself. That's why... And I'll quote him, Pastor Steve used to say, and, I, you know, as a pastor, probably half the things he said I didn't understand back then, but I understand now. And he used to always say, we could teach you just about everything about ministry, but we can't teach you to love Jesus. You, you can't. Either you got it or you don't. You, you can't. That's why I tell my truth all the time. Thankfulness is not a fruit of the Spirit. Read it. Because the Spirit can't make anybody grateful. Either you are or you aren't. It won't, the Spirit of God won't make anybody grateful or thankful. Either you have it or you don't. And God's Spirit can't make you. And the way you come into his presence is with it. You have to bring it with you. The problem is you come to church trying to find it, and you're never going to find it. It says bring it with you. Come into his presence with thanksgiving. It's like luggage. It's like your Bible. you got to bring it with you 
That's how thankfulness is. If you, if you come looking for it, you ain't going to get it. Because you know why? You're going to be critical. Why they praise like that? Why they do this like that? Why they operate like that? If you don't bring it with you, so what does that mean? That means Sunday mornings you better be prayed up. Well, I ain't got time. I got to get here. You've been, you better do what you got to do. At 9 o'clock come, you better be at this altar and get prayed up and get it. Thirdly is positional authority. And if you look at Jesus' ministry, he only used this a couple of times. Leader, this is leading, positional authority is leading by title or by position, not by relationship and not by spirituality. Now, all of us at some point are going to have to operate in positional authority. All of us. You got to get things done. You got to make things happen. You just got to say, look, bro, you just got to do it. You ain't got time to try to win them over. You ain't got time to take them out for coffee. Hello, somebody. You ain't got time to show them how holy you are. You just got to. You know, when I get like that is the play. I, I, I get like possessed. Right, Josie? I already told my cast, you better, if you're going to do this play, you better watch out because, you know, man, my brother-in-law, Ray, I put him through it. And that was my brother-in-law. I put John through it and, and, and rebuke him. And you know what I think about this? Pastor Steve never corrected me when that because he knew I was operating in positional authority. Now, if I got too crazy, he would correct me, of course. But there was a time where he knew I had to just get things done. I didn't have time to, you know, wine and dine them and, you know, show them how holy it was. No, just make it happen. And so there are times where you have to operate like this, but the problem in the church is most leaders do it more than they're relational or spiritual. I'm the leader, do what I say. I have the title, do what I say. I have this, do what I say. And, and why, why do we do that? Because it's the easiest road. It's the easiest road. I don't have to go and invest time. I don't have to prove myself. I don't have to give up my agenda and come under their agenda. I don't have to fight my own battle. I don't have to live the word. You just do it because I'm put here. I'm the boss. Do what I say. It's easy. And if you're not being a relational, if you're not a relational person, you're not a spiritual person who has spiritual authority, you are going to lead more often than not in positional authority. And you're going to run your home that way. You're going to run your ministry that way. You're going to run even your own house that way. That's where a lot of guys have problems in their marriage because they're not a spiritual man. Here's how you can tell. I'm the head of this house. I'm the father. I'm the man. Now, there are times with a dad, you got to say that. But if it's all the time you got a problem, something's wrong there. Something's wrong. Something's, something's wrong. And it's the same thing in the church. Well, Maybe someone, give me a time where you could think of it. We'll open up here, and I want to get to this. And if you have questions, maybe we can take a couple questions at the end. But give me a time where you think maybe somebody where Jesus had to operate a positional authority in his ministry. Anybody. Where you think he had to operate in, this, in, in that role. Not relational, not spiritual. Didn't matter how holy he was. Didn't matter. Just give me a time or a scripture. That's it right there. That's it. That's the main one. When he went to church, he didn't go in there and say, look at my holiness. He didn't go in there and say, let's then have coffee. He said, I'm the son of God. I am the Messiah. You've turned my father's house. Get this stuff out. Positional authority. But how many times did you see him doing that in scripture? Once. How many times do you do it? Boy, it's quiet in this Presbyterian church. (laughs) 
It's quiet. It's quiet. It's quiet. I'll take a question at the end. I got my answer. Thank you, though. That, that's it. Matthew 16, 22. You can, you, I mean, see, John 2, verse 13, you can see it. That is the example. He had to just move in the position God gave him. And he proved the enemy. He said, he said, destroy this temple. I'll raise it in three days. What are you saying? He said, I'm the Messiah. I have the title. Just do what I say. But only one time out of three and a half years of ministry did he do that. One time. There, there might be other you could say, but really one time that's really outright open. You see him do that. So you, you have to be very, very careful because usually what happens is, is that if you focus too much on positional authority, these are the people that usually end up abusing their authority. That's what happened in Sacramento. I'm going to tell you right now. If you don't like it, well, all right. I'm the pastor there now. It's my church now. That's what happened. And that's just not, that's what happens to a lot of churches. I'm sure Josie could tell you where a lot of pastors have moved from being relational and spiritual to being positional. And they just, you know, they don't, they don't fulfill what God's supposed to do. They're supposed to do in their life, okay? So let, let's, let's move here. I want to talk to you about the dangers now or the possibility of operating too much in, in positional authority. Because this is how cults are created. Positional authority brings fear, it brings legalism, and it brings control in the church. People that depend on positional authority, they bring fear, they, they bring legalism, and they bring control, and ultimately spiritual abuse in the church. Because the reality is if you befriend people, they're going to want to serve you because they love you. And they're grateful because you spent time with them. You sat at the table. Why do you think I'm so big because I spent so much time with my church at the table? <laughs> that was a good one. I got myself out of that one. It's their fault. And I love being with them. No, just kidding. I just thought I'd justify some actions. But <laughs> now, I'm going to give you the best example I can before we get into spiritual abuse of how this dynamic, there's one little story that gives us the dynamic of what I just taught you, okay? Matthew 16, verse 22. Here is you, where you see the fruit of relational and spiritual authority. I want you all to go there because you, you need to get this. This is what the outcome we're all shooting for, okay? Matthew 16, verse 22. Do you have it? Okay, look. Then Peter took him aside and began rebuking him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Now, watch this. This is where Jesus is getting ready to go die. He's been with Peter now for about three years, three and a half, whatever they want to say. It's, it's a good three years. Okay. Imagine if Jesus called Peter the devil when he first met him. Right? You devil. Because that's what he did. Candy coated, whatever treasure you read, he called him the devil. That kind of the devil, stop being the devil. But how could he do that 
and not see Peter run off and get hurt. Because for three years, he invested in this guy. For three years, he gave his life. He ate with him. He sat with him. He, he healed his mother-in-law. He, all these things, he, Peter saw that he lived when no one else was around, that he was the Messiah. That's why when Peter, she said, who do men say? He says, you are the Christ. I know it. I've seen it. I've seen you live it. I've seen you. Everything you tell people, I've seen you do in your own personal life. I've seen you. You've invested in me. So when he called him the devil, Peter didn't trip. And the thing is, you go around rebuking everybody so fast. Stop acting like that. Stop being like that. And you may spend no time with them. You haven't tried to see what's going on in their family. You haven't tried to get in there and do this. All you're worried about is calling them to bring soda for your cell group. And then you want to bring them for not bringing them soda, and yet you haven't established a place to work. Now, here's the key. Look, Jesus recognized that Peter gave him that place because Jesus would have never went there with him if he didn't. Jesus spotted that. He's ready for me to call him the devil now. He's ready for it. He can handle it. I've fed the boy. I've taken care of the boy. I've taught the boy. I've done everything with the boy. Now, now he's acting like the devil. Now I'm going to tell him, stop acting like the devil, Peter. Stop it now. And because Peter knows, see, that's why Peter, when he denied him, was so heartbroken, the Bible said. Because he knew how much Jesus poured into him. See, some people don't care if you fall. Because you haven't given them anything to care about. They ain't going to trip if they're just waiting for you to just move out the way so they can take your spot. Because you haven't cried with them, prayed with them, fasted with them, dined with them, lived the holy life. They're like, oh, whatever. And you go, it's like nothing to them. But Jesus, when he, when he denied Jesus, he's like, how can I do that? See, that's how I felt with my dad, my, my pastor, when, when one time I, I, I fronted him off. And it was in the play, as a matter of fact. And I walked away, and he didn't say nothing to me. Because maybe he thought I couldn't handle it at the time. But the Holy Spirit quickly me. And I came back and I said, man, Pastor, I'm sorry. I felt like, oh, my. I felt like I offended Jesus. Because of all the influence he had in my life, when I offended him, it was like, oh, my God. How, did I, how could I have done that? How, why did I do that? That was so stupid. But it was a conviction of the heart. Because I knew how much time and how much trials I put him through him working with me. Well, your people should feel the same way about you. They really should. When they see you go through it, they weep, they agonize, and they see you suffering. But they have a real heart. And if they don't, there might be other issues, but not everybody's got those kind of issues. The reality is that you just haven't proven yourself to them that they're willing to weep for you. You're more in positional authority versus spiritual and relational. So what's the danger here? Let's look, let's look at some things. Because as I'm giving you this, you're like, this is great, right? But I've seen people do these things, but then yet they stop. We were just in meetings and hearing of pastors that have removed themselves or sat down. I have friends that are not here no more. Like, what happens? Because I'm telling you, a lot of them had these three. So they got me to church. They had the relational authority. They had the spiritual authority. They knew when to tell me in positional authority to stop acting like a devil. And what happened to their life? What, what happens? The thing is that 
spiritual authority must be maintained. It has to be maintained and relational authority must be maintained. People fail because they simply stop growing. They start good, they last for a while, then they fade away. Now, why is that? I'm going to tell you why it is, okay? It's found in Matthew 22, and Jesus gave us this formula again, this pattern, that said everything you and I ever do is precedent on this scripture. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's why Pastor Steve used to always say that. I can teach you about ministry. I can teach you how to do this, but I cannot teach you how to love God. Either you're going to love him with a deep sense of love, a, a, a deep sense of love. Let me give you the order it should be. Every leader should have a deep sense of love for God, a deep sense of love for people, because that's what Jesus says, a deep sense of love for their family, and a deep sense of love for their calling. I guarantee when these leaders have fallen or something happened, somewhere in this four that I gave you, they might have had a deep sense of love for God, but not for their family. Because they wouldn't have done that if they loved their wife or their kids. I can't do that. There's things I've been telling that I said, I cannot do because I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my church. I love what I do for God. I love my ministry. I love people. I can't do that to people because there's a deep sense of love for them. And I'm, I'm telling you, I've, I've seen it. I've counseled. I've seen leaders. What happens is that somewhere, they'll tell you they love God, but they've lost that deep sense of love for God that keeps them from sinning. And the reason why they lose influence is because they stop growing themselves, they stop growing their family, and they stop growing in their ministry. They, 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 they stop. They stop. So how is spiritual authority maintained? I don't want to keep you much longer. I've been going along. I'm going to get through this quickly. Number one, you've got to constantly feed yourself. Number two, you've got to constantly challenge yourself. Number three, you've got to constantly stretch yourself. And lastly, you got to constantly evaluate yourself. You see David do this all through Psalms. He, he challenged himself. He stretched himself. And he was always evaluated. God searched my heart. You have to evaluate yourself. See, positional authority is maintained by relational and spiritual authority that's maintained. When you see men have respect like Pastor Sonny, is because Pastor Sonny has a deep love for God, for people, for his family, and his calling. So that keeps him in check. That has kept him over these 40-some years not to do this, not to go that way, not to get involved with this because he's got a deep sense of love. And the thing is, nobody can give you that. Nobody can make you love God. Nobody can give you that. Either you got it or at some point if it's not maintained, you're going to lose it. And you're going to start coasting. And when you get to that next mountain in your life, you're not going to be able to get over it. That's why, how do you do that now? Let me give you a modern day version. Mark 8. Jesus said this. Who do men say that I am? Mm. What was he doing? Who do people, what do people say about me? Every leader should ask that question. And he asked of two types of people, those outside his circle and those inside his circle. And see, a lot of times, especially with pastors and leaders, in your inner circle, you're the best thing since cheesecake. <laughs> you're the best thing. 
And you'll ask it with inside your circle, but then you don't ask it outside your circle. Oh, they don't know what they're talking about. They're just jealous. They're just haters. They, 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 don't, you, they don't know what they're talking about. Jesus asked two questions. Let me read it to you. He said, who do men say that I am? They answered, John the Baptist, some say Elisha, and others, the prophets. He said, but who do you say that I am? See, I'm not just concerned about just one side. I want to know the general consensus of my life. If people at your job say you got attitude and people in your ministry say you got attitude, guess what? If people in your family say you're like this and then people in the church say you're like this, guess what? You got it. See, that's how you evaluate yourself. Who do men say you are? Who does people say you are today? Who are they saying you are? It, it, that's how you determine where you're at. Because they might say, oh, you know what? He's good, but, man, he just don't talk to me no more. He's lacking in relational authority. Oh, man, they're a great friend. But, man, you know, sometimes they're kind of carnal. You're lacking in spiritual authority. Man, you know what? Man, they love me. They're spiritual. But they couldn't stand up to that sister the other day that got in the flesh. They're lacking in positional authority. See, people will let you know who you really are. If you ask, because we don't want to ask, because it hurts. It hurts, but it's part of the growing process. You need to ask the question, who? See, Jesus asked the question to those he furthest influenced, to those he closely influenced. The, the, the reality is this. You can only influence others if you're being influenced yourself. You're not going to influence anybody else if you're not being influenced by somebody. Now, what time is it? I'm going to run through these quickly. I'm going to use David as an example. The dangers to abusing your spiritual power. We all know the story in 2 Samuel 11. You can write it down. Where David fell with Bathsheba. What happened? How did this very, because he started this way. But also David was with his people. was coming in and going out. He was relational. He said, uphold me in my integrity, God. He was an integral man. He had spiritual authority. So how did this spiritual, relational man and positional man who was a king move from being relational and spiritual to being a positional leader? How did he do that? Because that's what happens why leaders fall. I'll tell you what it was. Number one, he, get, he, he put demands on his disciples that he wasn't willing to live up to himself. When it says it was a time for kings to go out to war and he stood back, in other words, he put demands on his people that he wasn't willing to live up to, the, up to himself. The first sign that somebody is a positional leader is when they put demands on people that they're not doing themselves. Better be accountable, brother, and they're not accountable with the leaders or the ministers. Better call me when you do this. And it amazes me, I see leaders that they get so irate when someone doesn't call or show up, but yet they don't do it this way. See, that's a positional leader. The Bible says in verse 11, it happened when kings go out to battle. What, what happened? He was asking others to do something he wasn't doing himself. Matter of fact, verse 2 says what? He slept all day. See, maybe David excused himself because usually positional leaders have this one thread. And, 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 and even Bill Clinton said it himself when I asked him, why did you have sex with that girl in the office? He said, because I could. They have a sense of entitlement. I've paid the price, I've done this, I've labored, I've relationship with people, I've been spiritual, I deserve this. 
I'm entitled to do this. I'm entitled to take money from this account. I'm entitled to, to steal from this. I'm entitled to cheat here or entitled to a little this on the side. No, beloved, you're not. You're not entitled to it. You're not. That's what happened in 1 Samuel 2 where the Bible says that Eli and his sons were corrupted. And if you read there, it said they would bring sacrifice. They would take the portion of sacrifice that was to be for God for themselves. What were they doing? They were putting demands on people they weren't living up to themselves. Be careful with that. Be careful. That's why Romans 12, 1 says, you who teach, do you teach but don't do it yourself? You who preach, don't steal, do you steal? You who say, don't commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You, you make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? Does everything you teach others, do you do yourself? If that's what you're doing, you are a positional leader. And you're on the verge of a fall. If you're not being relational and spiritual, you are focusing more on the positional. Number two, you believe in that others owe, owe you whatever you can use them for. In other words, when David brought in back Uriah and he had Uriah go put on the front lines, David looked at Uriah as, you know what, I can do with them whatever I want. They're under my ministry. They're under my authority. I can use them for whatever I want use of them. That is a sign of, of positional leadership. That's why Jesus said in Luke 22, he says what? Don't lord over them like the Gentiles because they want what? Benefactors. In other words, they just want to benefit from their labor. It is not so with you. It kills me. And a classic example of this I taught before is where David says, oh, that I long for a drink. And I know many people appreciate how David's man went down there and it was so courageous. But I see that in a whole different light. If David would have never spoke it, they never would have done it. And some of you do that. You go to Walmart. Oh, that's so nice. But I ain't got no money. I can't buy it. And you're hoping they'll buy it for you. You're laughing, but it's the truth. Some of you do that. You throw hints out there. Oh, look at that. Watch. Man, that's so beautiful. But, you know, we're just, we're so poor. Man, look at that suit, man. And you're throwing it out there like David did. Oh, that I had a drink. And people love you, but that's how you abuse your power. Because they love you. They love David. Be careful. Thirdly, when David sent Uriah the Hittite, he told him, go be with your wife. He was trying to fix things rather than make things right. Positional leaders are quick to try to fix things. Cover this up. Fix it. Fix it. Versus coming out and fessing up and making it right. He, he tried to cover up. He tried to quick, quick to, to cover up. You can only cover up for so long. You try to make it look right then versus being right. That's manipulation. It's lying. It's conniving. It's for dangling. That's exactly what happened with, you know, like Ted Haggard. You know, the best thing in all these guys when they get busted, they should just say, yeah, I did it. But you got to get 15 videos, 15 testimonies, 20 eyewitnesses of fighting for the guy to say, okay, it was me. When they had the first phone call, somebody broken would have said, yeah, I did it. I have a weakness, and you know what, I did it. But denying, I didn't do that. I don't know that guy. I never had this and that with them. That's a positional leader. That's a positional leader. They try to cover up. Just cover up. Pay him. Pay the guy. Just, 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 just fix it. Hurry up. Just, just fix it. They're saying, you know what? I have this issue. I need help with it. They try to fix, pay people, get things done. And you have to be careful with that. 
the, the next thing is when, when Nathan comes to David, how you can tell he was operating in position. When David gives him the example of the animal or the steel and the sheep, David was more concerned about the sheep than he was the person. And people that are more focused on positional leaders, leadership, they're more concerned about things than people. They're focused more on ministry things. It has to be this way. And if you don't do it a certain way, they get all bent out of shape. I don't want to do it. Because they're focused on details and things. Rather than, you know what, let's just let that go for the sake of keeping this person in the church. No, it has to be that way. So we've always done it. It's always to be this way. And they're focused on things rather than people. Let me just say this. Because I see in my church, and I'm, I'm going to end it with this. This is probably the biggest one I can give you. There's a difference between accountability and vulnerability. And I see a lot of leaders that are accountable. In other words, they call, they're accountable, but they don't make themselves vulnerable. It's a big difference. See, accountability means I'm doing my part, and it's, I'm not saying don't be accountable. It's good. You call, whatever, you, you're accountable. But you're never going to grow to the capacity you're supposed to until you make yourself vulnerable to your leader. So you open yourself up, and what does vulnerability mean? To be hurt. And you'll see them in the church, and they're just there because they've only made themselves accountable, but they stop making themselves vulnerable. I'm telling you, I, I can name pastors, even pastors that, you know, that I know that have been replaced. They paid their tithes. They paid their fees. They did this. They were at the events. They were accountable. But I'm telling you, many of them were not vulnerable. They didn't come and say, this is who I am. I knew if I was going to make it, I had to come to my pastor and say, you know what, man, I feel like hitting my wife. I'm not going to, but I feel like it. But she hit me. No, just kidding. <laughs> what am I saying by vulnerability? I was, so I was counseling someone the other day, and some big old thing broke out. And then the person called me back and said, well, you know, Pastor, I didn't say everything. I said, why did you waste that time? That is the reason why you're right back here two days later, because you didn't make yourself vulnerable and express what was really on your heart. Well, I didn't want you to look at me in a certain way. So what? You should have just said it. If you, have, if you think that way, say it. We can handle it. Just say it. Say how you feel. But, you know, I'm not saying, you know, you, you do it in disrespect. But say what's on your heart. That's what's kept me saved. What, one of the reasons why me and Pastor Josie are so close, because I will be honest with her. She'll be honest with me. And I will tell her what's on my heart. And I will tell her, you know what, I don't know. And then she'll tell me, you know what, this and that. And, and here's the thing, we've had our battles. But we're like this to this day. Because I have constantly made myself vulnerable to her. And she knows more about me than probably most of you know about me. And she knew, her and Pastor Steve knew more about me than, than in, in, in that time of my life before my wife was around than anybody in my life at that time. They knew my struggles, my hang-ups. And yet... It was freedom for me because I made myself vulnerable, not just accountable. And if you're going to grow the next level, you got to go beyond accountability and get to vulnerability. 
Where if we need to, we can call you the devil. You're a devil in a dress. You're a devil in a three-piece suit. Amen? Because the reality is that if you don't, if you stay in positional authority, eventually like David who just replaced the Hittite like no problem, you start believing that people, the last thing, are expendable. And people aren't expendable. They can't be easily replaced. They cannot be easily replaced. People are our greatest asset. Maybe David was a little prejudiced because this guy was a Gentile. I don't know. Some of you have some prejudices you got to get rid of, you got to deal with. They'll keep you from fulfilling the fullest of your ministry. I close with this, 1 Corinthians 9.18. Paul says, what is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. Why is Paul such a success? Because this was a man who operated in relational authority, who definitely had spiritual authority. But if sometimes he's, he moved in positional authority. He said, well, I can, just, I can just get it from you. And he talked about one time about finances. I can, you owe me, he says, what I've done in your life. He used his position. But that was only a couple of times. The majority of the time, this man maintained spiritual authority and relational authority with his people and his positional authority because he constantly maintained himself. You stop growing, I guarantee after a while, you're going to operate more often in positional authority than the other two. And you're going to be a frustrated leader, and eventually you're going to be burnt out. I've seen people come, I'm tired, I'm burnt out. But you're trying to do something spiritual in the flesh. When was the last time you prayed? When was the last time you spent time with God? Because people will suck the life out of you. And you got to be selfish sometimes to get in the presence of God. I have to do that. I got to say, oh, I won't be today. I'll be praying because, oh, damn. And you have to do that. You have to make that investment. Amen? Let's all stand.